Hello to all my Facebook friends and my Facebook family. It's wonderful to be with you again. Bill Allen here on Mother's Day 2021. So happy Mother's Day to all of the wonderful godly women out there. Uh, what a blessing you all are. Joyce and I have had so many wonderful, wonderful godly Christian women who have uh, paid an interest in us and an interest in our children and in our family to help us through these uh days uh, of life that have been a joy at times and a struggle at times and we think back with great fondness and great love for so many of you uh, so to all of the moms and the grandmothers and the aunts and the sisters and the dear friends and um, the wonderful wonderful godly christian women that god has placed in your life and in mine i wish and pray for you a very happy mother's day today um, Joyce and I, of course, as you know, if you follow us on Facebook, you know that the first week or so of May is very eventful for us. Uh, begins the in April with our daughters, our youngest daughter Amanda's birthday, and then continues on with my birthday, and then with our anniversary, which we celebrated Friday, and then on Mother's Day uh, today. And it's just a blessing to be able to share life's experiences with your family and your friends and uh, with people that you love. So um, uh, thank you to all who have wished us well, who have uh, liked or loved or laughed at some of the crazy things that we have put on Facebook over the last week or two, and uh, especially all of you who pray for us regularly. What a blessing you are. Seeing some familiar names and faces, actually not faces, but the faces come to my mind. Uh, as I look at those who are participating in our study this afternoon, uh, Pat Slade, great to see you, our dear friends, uh, Eric and Cindy Mosley, love you both so very much, our dear friends, Larry and Lynn Murphy, uh, who um, I mean so much, very much to our our church family and their, their children, Lori and Jonathan and uh, Ethan and Logan, um, taking part in handing out uh, wonderful little Mother's Day gifts of a bookmark today to all of those wonderful ladies that were in our West Irwin Church of Christ Assembly. So uh, again, you are a blessing to me, you are a blessing to us, and a blessing to so many others. And uh, just uh, appreciate so very much our church family here and our extended church family that goes includes all of you uh, that participate with us uh, online through our various means. Uh, today we come to um, the darkest moment in the history of mankind and yet also um, the most significant and important moment. It's the moment of Jesus' death. We have seen throughout these uh, first uh, 14, almost 15 chapters um, the incredible story of Jesus. Mark begins this great gospel very simply by saying the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, he has reminded us of this purpose of his gospel and of the mission of Jesus throughout the gospel, calling those times when Jesus said, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and he's going to be delivered into the hands of sinners and he's going to be crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Uh, Mark it applies this message throughout his gospel, making sure that we, his readers, understand that this was not just about Jesus, but it was about our lives of faith as well. And so as Mark shares this chapter, Mark chapter 15, 
he reminds us that this is not just about Jesus. This is about us, and it's a call for us uh, to be very faithful and to be able to take up our crosses and follow Jesus just as he has commanded us to do. So a hello to my dear sister and friend, Barbara Kasky, that's joined us. Many others will be joining us as well. I hear from you often uh, that saying, hey, I don't ever say anything, but I appreciate your messages. Had a couple of our members this morning mention that exact thing, and it's such a blessing to be able to share God's word. We're very blessed with technology, and so let's get down into Mark chapter 15. As we've seen in previous lessons in Mark chapters 14 and 15, Jesus meets with his closest disciples at that last supper. Uh, he talks to them. John fills us in on a lot of what was said in those uh, chapters in John from John 13 through John 17 in his wonderful prayer. Jesus talks to the disciples warning Peter and the others that they are going to all fall away and, and desert him. And even though they claim that that's not going to happen, still they do. Uh, still they do. And so Jesus warns them ahead of time and he has that last supper uh, with them. He shares that Passover meal, which I believe it was a Passover meal. Uh, and he shares that with them and he uh, institutes the Lord's Supper uh, that remember, calls us as we participated this morning, calls us to remember his death, burial and resurrection by taking that bread and drinking that fruit of the vine and re being reminded ourselves uh, that we are called to join Jesus outside the camp as the writer of the book of Hebrews in very Jewish language uh, recalls that we are to join him there and take up our cross and follow him. In the first 15 uh, verses of Mark chapter 15, Mark gives us his abbreviated version, of course, of the trials of Jesus and the interaction between Jesus and Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, very limited, as we would expect from Mark. Uh, again, the Gospel of John fills us in much more on Jesus' interaction with Pilate and uh, how Jesus tells him, you would have no authority unless it were given you from above. Uh, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this earth. If it were, my subjects would fight. And that gives us a clue into Mark's uh, emphasis as well. Mark's emphasis is upon uh, this, this suffering of Jesus, this temptation of Jesus to walk away. And he could have at any moment, and we have seen that throughout the gospel. We've seen that in his coming. We've seen that in his temptations when uh, Jesus was tempted by Satan to give it all up, to do some splendid, incredible uh, event that would cause people to believe in him without having to have faith. And Jesus would have none of it. We hear that same temptation here on the cross as well, especially here in Mark's uh, gospel and the limited experience that he gives us at the cross, uh, the limited description, uh, and only one of the seven statements of Jesus from the cross uh, Mark brings to mind in Mark chapter 15. So welcome to my cousin Gail, my dear, dear friend and sister Wanda. It's wonderful to see your names on there and to take part in this study. So let's keep reading in Mark chapter 15. Uh, after Pilate is threatened by the crowd, uh, when they say, we have no king but Caesar, how about you? And so that is, according to the other Gospels, that is the moment when Pilate takes his place at the official seat of judgment and pronounces Jesus guilty 
and uh, pronounces the sentence of crucifixion. He has him flogged this horrible, cruel uh, punishment that, uh, that it's a wonder Jesus survived until even the cross itself. And, uh, and then he presents him to be crucified. But the suffering of Jesus, as Mark records it, as the other gospel writers record it, the physical suffering is horrendous, but even the emotional suffering is uh, something that I think Mark emphasizes. Mark 15, verse 16, the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling to their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to be crucified. Horrible suffering that Jesus endured, not just physical suffering, but emotional suffering and abuse by the soldiers, by the Jewish leaders, by the Jewish soldiers as well. Uh, it was just a horrible, horrible time that our Savior endured. Much fulfillment of Isaiah 53 is seen in the words that Mark records. Uh, he continues his account of this fateful day in Mark 15, verse 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Some suggest that the Rufus that we mentioned this morning in Romans chapter 16 is this very man, um, and the son of the man who carried the cross of Jesus, Simon, from the area of Cyrene. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but that would make a lot of sense. Uh, someone that would likely be well known that Mark even references here. They forced him, Simon, to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Um, the, the Latin term for Golgotha, Calvary. That's why we have those wonderful hymns, those wonderful songs that tell us to um, lead us to Calvary, for example. Uh, it was uh, at Calvary that Jesus shed his blood. Uh, that's another, that's the Latin version of that uh, term Golgotha, the place of the skull where they took prisoners condemned to death by crucifixion uh, to be killed. Then they offered him wine, verse 23, mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Uh, historians tell us that this likely could have had some medicinal effect. Uh, later, Jesus, as far as the other gospel writers will tell us, uh, uh, called out. One of those seven statements is, I thirst, and they gave him uh, some water, but that was it. Jesus didn't uh, get anything that would help ease the pain that day. Verse 24, and they crucified him. And that's all we get from Mark. <laughs> those simple words, that simple statement, they crucified him. And yet that's, that's exactly what happened, that horrible horrible, wonderful day. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. And we remember that there were some that they could just hand out and tear up and each share, but there was one garment that, um, that was woven throughout and they could not uh, uh, divide it up unless they, um, unless they were willing to uh, ruin it. 
And so they, they cast lots for that one in a fulfillment of the Old Testament. It was nine in the morning, verse 25, when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, verse 27, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. Of course, we know that Jesus was talking about uh, his very body that they were actually destroying, uh, so they thought, on the cross. And yet, in three days, Jesus would build that body back up again, raise it back up again. But again, this, this merciless uh, taunting of Jesus. And here's the truth. Jesus could have done that. He could have done everything they challenged him to say, whether it was come down from the cross or as we're going to see in a moment, call for Elijah or someone else to come and deliver him. And yet he did not. Come down from the cross and save yourself, verse 30. Verse 31, in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law or scribes mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. And yet he could have. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Again, Mark's limited story doesn't give us the story of that one thief that looked to Jesus and said, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom, uh, chastising the other thief who was joining in those at the cross, abusing Jesus with their words and with their lack of faith. And, and that's when Jesus tells him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And yet there's no mention of that, only mention of the thieves who uh, were joining in on the chorus. And I, um, I think of that wonderful song, How Deep the Father's Love, Ashamed I Hear My Mocking Voice, Call Down Among the Scoffers. Uh, it was the love of God and the love of Christ that kept Jesus on the cross that day. All of the things that they said to challenge him, to uh, make fun of him, to mock him, he could have done. He could have come down from the cross. He could have called those 12,000 legions of angels or the prophet Elijah or the angel uh, Gabriel or Michael and come to take him down from the cross. He could have stepped down off that cross himself. He was the son of God even then, and yet he did not. Verse 33, three hours later, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, six hours of torture. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only statement of Jesus that, that Mark records from the cross, and it's a direct quote, as you likely know, from Psalm 22, verse 1, it's exactly the same frustration that the psalmist felt, except the psalmist was not an innocent man. He was a sinner, just like the rest of us. 
Uh, he did not deserve to live. He did not deserve to be blessed like ourselves. He was a man who only received the blessings of life and health and happiness in this world because of a gracious and merciful God. For Jesus, he deserved all those things. He deserved none of what he was getting on the cross. And yet he stayed. Yet he stayed. That Psalm, Psalm 22, is a, is a wonderful account of a man. So many of, the, um, of the, the prophecies in that Psalm that they didn't even know uh, were fulfilled in Jesus, his sufferings, his, his wasting away of his body, uh, the taunts of those around him. Uh, it's an incredible view of the psalmist's suffering, but the, also of the psalmist's restoration. He didn't suffer the way Jesus suffered. He was suffering and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus recalls those words and he recalls that psalm, I believe, from the cross because that psalm speaks also of the deliverance that the psalmist experienced and how he would praise the Father again upon that deliverance. And Jesus praised that prayer uh, why did he say that? Well, I think he said that because he felt it. He felt it. Mark continues on and says, with a loud cry, he breathed his last. And we don't hear those words, Father, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. We don't hear that triumphal statement, it is finished. This is all we hear. This cry of abandonment and forsakenness and loneliness the cry of an unjust sufferer, a man who was in no way deserving of the suffering that he was experiencing. And yet Jesus did that for you, and he did that for me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, what Mel Gibson in, <laughs> in his great movie, The Passion of the Christ, took such pains to portray the horrific suffering of Jesus, Mark seems hesitant to show. Uh, one person has written, rather Mark records the death of Jesus very simply, as we said in verse 24, and they crucified him. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, verse 37. We don't hear a lot of the other things because for Mark, the great emphasis is upon the temptation of Jesus to come down, the temptation of Jesus to walk away. And yet, because he loved us more than his own life, more than his own well-being, Jesus stayed. What happens then? With a loud cry, Mark 15, verse 37, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place. That sacred place where only the high priest could go. And only once a year uh, on the day of atonement, the Yom Kippur, we now see God acting in a very direct way uh, to uh, announce uh, that this is that new covenant that Jeremiah and Jeremiah 31 looked ahead to. And they won't understand it and they won't see it happening until Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost when the church begins in full and repentance and remission of sins. Uh, baptism in the name of the resurrected Jesus Christ is preached for the first time. Verse 39, and when the centurion, the Roman soldier, when the centurion, this Roman officer, 
who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Mark adds a lot of words to this Roman pagan officer's response to the cross of Christ, rather than saying more about the suffering of Jesus, rather than saying more about what Jesus expressed from the cross, because this fits Mark's purpose. This has been his purpose the whole time, to instill faith, to help those who do not believe to come to believe. And that's what, this, that's what happens in this man's life. This Roman officer, this pagan, while he's seeing and hearing all of the terrible things the Jews are doing and saying, he sees a different version of someone on the cross. And he sees this man who is dying by faith, an unjust, horrible, horrific death. But in doing so, Jesus not only instills faith in that one thief on the cross with him, but he also instills faith in this pagan Roman officer. Verse 40, some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and, of, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. We know that John was there as well from the other accounts and perhaps some of the other apostles were within sight, who knows? But we know that they all deserted him and fled and there was no one there, no one, to give Jesus comfort and encouragement as he breathed his last. Um, instead, they, all fearing for their own lives, left him. And before we get too hard on them, we have to remember we have done the same. And that's exactly why Jesus died on the cross that day. In the words of Paul to the Romans in Romans chapter 5, that incredible statement, it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. It was when we were joining that uh, horrible mob calling for his blood, crucify him, crucify him. Uh, right there in the midst of them, we find ourselves. And yet that's exactly why Jesus came. And that's exactly why Jesus shed his blood and died because he loved us so and because he wanted us to be present with him and with the Father for eternity. Mark ends Mark chapter 15 with the story of the burial. Um, beginning at verse 42, it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, it was likely in, in um, uh, Mark's uh, understanding. Mark is seeing that Last Supper as a Passover meal on the Passover day, and now we're coming to the special Sabbath of the Passover day itself. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And we know from John's account that Nicodemus, that man who first came to Jesus by night in John 3, who later very timidly raised the question of possibly giving Jesus a hearing before convicting him to death at the end of John 7 and then being uh, immediately silenced by his fellow uh, council members, uh, this Nicodemus and this Joseph of Arimathea are the ones who take the body down. And they are members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, but who did not take part 
in pronouncing this horrible, horrible sentence. Um, and so they make their faith known now. And by doing what Mark tells us they did, they become marked men. They become public enemy number one, no doubt, because the, the, what the Jewish leaders don't want anyone to know and anyone to hear from or to see are members of their own council who have come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They went boldly and asked for Jesus' body from Pilate. Pilate, verse 44, was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Jesus. The other, uh, other uh, ones who had been crucified with Christ, the two thieves, their legs were broken to speed up their death. But for Jesus, the suffering had already been so intense that his life had already been taken from him. Um, verse 45, when Pilate learned from the centurion that it was so that Jesus was dead, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock, his own tomb that was nearby, this place called Calvary, this place of the skull, uh, there just outside of Jerusalem. Then he rolled a stone across against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And it's that Mary that is the first person at the cross on that wonderful, wonderful first day of the week. Uh, as horrible as all of this is, we're reminded of the message of Mark, uh, the message of the horrible death that Jesus endured, but also uh, the reality that he didn't have to do it. He could have stopped it at any time, and yet he did not. Uh, someone has said, something is missing. Where is the foreshadowing of triumph? How is this death going to yield victory? Where's the link of the resurrection Jesus predicted? Our favorite parts of this old, old story are missing. There's no incredible promise. Today, you'll be with me in paradise to a penitent thief. No words of the divine forgiveness that Luke records. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. No words of care and blessing upon a disciple and a mother. No statement of faith. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. No statement of victory. It is finished. Which is kind of amazing. Um, to realize that we don't get any of that from Mark, but it's because that's that's not Mark's intent. Mark's intent is to demonstrate that at any moment the suffering could have ended, and yet it did not. We hear this statement of abandonment and despair, this quote from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we hear a confession from a Roman officer Surely this man was the Son of God. Well, what is it that we see? That's what we hear. What is it that we see? We see the temptation for Jesus to come down from the cross and to avoid the pain and abandonment that it would be, that it would bring. Um, for Jesus and his cross, we've seen this the whole time, <laughs> starting with the temptations, as we mentioned, we've seen it uh, when Jesus was so many times suffering uh, through his ministry. We see it when he was in the garden praying, Father, let this cup pass from me. 
And then those great words, yet not my will but yours be done. We see it in the abandonment he felt from his disciples. We see it in the suffering and we see it in the trials, if you could call them trials, and we see it now on the cross. Um, there's nothing that Jesus couldn't have done to come down and to save his life, and yet he did not. Uh, we see for us and the cross that we're called to bear uh, a similar thing that Jesus experienced. This brings to light what the Gospels record Jesus saying. If you want to be my disciple, then you must deny yourself, take up your own cross and follow me. What does that look like? Well, it's, I love the cross necklaces. Joyce has a few. I think they're wonderful and beautiful and great reminders, but we have to remember what the cross was. It was lethal injection. It was the electric chair. It was the firing squad. Um, it was being stoned to death. It was a means of capital punishment for a criminal who had been sentenced to death, and yet sentenced to death not in a humane way at all, if that's even possible, but in the in the most horrible way that that mankind in our sinfulness has ever devised, death by crucifixion. It was that death that Mark records Jesus experiencing, and so they crucified him. One person has said, I doubt Mark wants to minimize the suffering of Jesus, but he clearly wants to print in bold type the temptation of Jesus to give up on his mission, <clears throat> to deny his identity, literally to leave the cross. If the suffering had significance, it would be in the temptation for Jesus to deny God's will and reject the cross as the way to glory. The details of Mark's text suggest that Jesus was surrounded and tempted by avenues of escape. Uh, they called him the King of the Jews. Pilate put that on uh, the sign, <clears throat> a reminder that it was the truth, and Jesus could have stopped it. Uh, they announced that he could have called down 12 legions of angels to deliver him, and yet he did not. Uh, the, the crowd calling out for him, come down from the cross and we'll believe you, and yet he did not save yourself, Mr. I'm going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Um, yet he did not. The chief priests call for him to come down from the cross. The scribes call for him to come down from the cross. Uh, those who misunderstand his statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think he's calling for Elijah to come and deliver him, which again, he could have done. Um, yet it never happens. Mark asks us to see the crucifixion of Jesus as a temptation to flee from his destiny. We too are called upon to persevere, to remain faithful despite the trials and temptations that we bear, far less than what Jesus did, but very real nonetheless. For the Corinthians, Paul used the victory of the resurrection as the basis of encouraging these Christians to stay their course, to stand firm, to not be moved in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, Mark, however, gives us Jesus and the cross and tells us to stay the course despite the potential for abandonment, suffering, and abuse. Jesus pulls no punches to his followers of how difficult it's going to be uh, to go the way of the cross. Our cross may not be a literal one, but our world calls us to come down from our crosses every single day.
come down from your cross, the world says, come down. The message of Mark, the message of the cross, is to persevere and endure, to do the unselfish thing, to do the thing that calls on us, as Paul says in Romans 12, to be living sacrifices, to be willing to give our lives for the sake of others every single day. Stay firm, stay the course. That is the way to victory. And it's only possible because of what we've read about today in Mark 15. The blood that was shed, the body that was broken on the cross that day so long ago at Calvary. Next Sunday, we get to look at the magnificent other side of this great coin, the resurrection of Jesus. I pray that you have a wonderful week.